I'm going to go Sans mic here. Oof. Hey, everybody. How's it going? Great. Thank you, Jason. For... Jason always validates me. Some nights I just hear his voice and I'm like, ah, he's freaking out. Um, but yeah, welcome to RUF. My name is Thomas. I'm the campus minister here. Uh, and at RUF, we believe that you're never so bad that you're beyond the reach of God's grace. And at the same time, you're never so good that you're beyond the need of God's grace. Uh, and what that means is that God's kindness is the only reason that anyone is a Christian. Without God's kindness, no one would be a Christian. It's not uh, something that you earn. It's not something that uh, is for just religious people. Um, God actually relates to all of us based on grace. And that's true uh, whether you're a pastor or whether you're a student. Um, God relates to all of us based on grace. And this semester, we've been going through a series called Knowing God in the Book of Exodus. It's the second book of the Bible. kind of tells the story of God rescuing his people from Egypt, uh, delivering them out, and then bringing them uh, so into the promised land so that they can serve him. Uh, but the Exodus is all about who God is and how we relate to him. And today, uh, we're going to be covering a broad passage, uh, as Derek was reading. It's like Exodus 7 through 10. So buckle up. It's going to be about three hours tonight. Just kidding. Uh, it's going to be about like 20 minutes, 25 minutes, hopefully. We'll see. Um, but I would encourage you, maybe eventually on your own, maybe go back and read this, because uh, we're going to kind of take it from a big picture standpoint, because you really just can't do everything with this in like 30 minutes, or at least I can't. So uh, with all that said, let me, let me pray for us and we can go ahead and get started. Our Father, we thank you for uh, your word. We thank you that uh, you have uh, recorded these things down so that we may study them and know them, um, and so that we may know you. Uh, Lord, in the book of Exodus, we see that you're a God who reveals himself. And so, Lord, uh, I pray that you would help us to be attentive um, to what it is that you're revealing about yourself tonight. So, Lord, will you open our eyes? Uh, we couldn't see you unless you um, wanted us to. And, Lord, you do want us to. So I pray that you would help us to see you as you are. All these things I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, so something that maybe is like apparent about me uh, is that I'm the youngest child in my family. I don't know if you can just like pick that up. A lot of people, when they look at me, they're like, man, you are definitely the youngest child. Like you've been like punched a lot and you can just tell by the way that you are. Um, but like what being a youngest child means is that I really like I could I learned how to take a punch. Right. Like from the age of probably like 10 to 16, I would say like my arm was like com bruised completely, like all the time. And so like I was I was able to kind of roll with the punches like my brothers. I had two older brothers and they were like. I mean, they were a lot bigger than me, but it kind of went both ways. I said some like really horrible things to them that I'm sure that they still wake up and like have nightmares about. So I got my punches in as well. It was just verbal punches, which is not nearly as fun. Um, but when I turned 16, both of my brothers moved out. And so it went from being like me and my brothers to me just being me, my mom and my dad. And when I turned 16, I also hit a growth spurt. And so it went from be, like me being the lowest on the totem pole to all of a sudden, I'm like the tallest man in the house. And I don't know if you remember being 16 years old or not, but there's something like just wickedly off in your brain chemistry. And I just like assumed because I was taller than my dad that I could, I could take him. 
I don't know why. Like, I just, there was just something in my mind that I'm like, I could totally take them. And like, I just started getting like riskier and riskier in the things that I would say to him. And eventually, like, what this led to is me uh, kind of provoking him and coming up to him and saying, okay, dad, if you punch me as hard as you could in the arm, I don't think it would hurt that bad. Like, I don't think it'd be that big of a deal. And my dad was like, son, like, you have no idea what you're saying. Like, no, I'm obviously not going to punch you. And I'm like, okay, whatever. And I would just keep doing it again and again and again until finally my dad just like reared back one time and let me have it. And when I woke up, I was 25 years old. (laughs) But my dad, like my dad hit me in the arm and it was like a pain like I have never felt before. Right. That was the day that I learned about this thing called dad strength. Right. That all dads are just like supernaturally strong. See, it was a a hit that I had provoked my dad for. And I was like not at all prepared to deal with the consequences. And see, the passage that we're looking at today, it shows the response from Pharaoh after provoking God in a similar way. Pharaoh has just been provoking God uh, when he asks this question in Exodus five. He says, who is the Lord that I should obey his voice? Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice? It's him basically saying, who is the Lord? I think I, I think I could take him. And what we see here in the plagues, these kind of supernatural things that are happening here, is God's response to being provoked. This is God's response to Pharaoh, who says that he doesn't think he needs to obey the Lord. So last week we saw um, kind of how Pharaoh and Moses responded to God's authority. We saw that Pharaoh rejected God's authority. And this week it's kind of, how, how is God going to respond? How is God going to respond to Pharaoh after he has rejected his authority? And so Pharaoh's question in uh, Exodus 5, he says, who is the Lord that I should obey his voice? Who is the Lord? I think that's a question that's relevant to us. Uh, See, we live in a world where there are many voices. We live in a world where there are many voices. Uh, We live in a world of many religions, of lots of worthy causes. Lots of things that it's like worth giving your time to. What in the world makes the God of the Bible's voice relevant for me to listen to? Why should I listen to God? Why should I listen to God when at times his word kind of seems so maybe culturally regressive? Why should I listen to the word of God whenever it seems like it's just so at odds with a lot of the things that we see around us? Or maybe it's, maybe it's kind of even personal for you. Why should I listen to God when his people have wounded me or someone that I love dearly? You see, we're asking this question, who is the Lord that I should obey him? Why, why should I obey him? And in God's response to Pharaoh's question tonight, I think we see three answers that are important for us as well. So if you're a note taker, it's going to be kind of these three points here. Uh, First answer, he is the divine king. Second, he is the creator God. And third, he is the saving God. So God is the divine king, the creator God, and the saving God. So let's just go ahead and jump right in. So first off, uh, the Lord is the divine king. And so it might be kind of weird to talk about God as king if you've been here with us thus far this semester, because we've really focused on another king the whole semester. Uh, And we've seen Pharaoh is kind of the unquestioned king of Egypt. Like he does whatever he wants. Uh, 
at the beginning of the book, he decided that he wanted to enslave an entire nation, and no one said anything. They're just like, yeah, if that's what you want to do, why don't you just go for it? And then he just like steps it up and decides that he wants to try and destroy an entire generation, like committing genocide. And again, no one says anything, right? Like Pharaoh is this unquestioned king with all sorts of power that like no one's going to stand in the way of. He oversaw one of the most powerful nations in the world at the time. He had endless resources. He had the most sophisticated army you could imagine. When he said things, it happened. Like his word caused things to happen. But not only was he like this unquestioned king, kind of like a dictator kind of person, he was also viewed as divine. Like people, when they looked at Pharaoh, they thought that he was a god. Uh, I came across this letter from another king who would have been kind of like on an equal level of power that he wrote this letter to Pharaoh. And this is what he says. This is how he introduces the letter, at least. He says, to the king, my Lord, my God, my son, the sun from the sky. I indeed prostrate myself at the feet of the king, my Lord, my God, my son, seven times and seven times on the stomach and on the back. Who am I? A dog. What is my house and what is anything I have that the orders of the king, my Lord, the sun from the sky, I should not obey constantly. Like Pharaoh was a guy who like when they looked at him, they saw they like this is God on earth. This is a person that we should obey. And then in response to kind of Pharaoh's assertion of divine kingship, God kind of starts to tear his kingship apart. That's what we see in the plagues. So the first plague that we read about was uh, the Nile being turned into blood. The Nile was turned into blood. And the Nile was kind of like the source of life in the middle of Egypt. It would have been kind of the center point of their economy. And then God, with the first action, he is attacking the Nile. And so we see this divine king, all of a sudden, he can't even provide water for his people. And then God goes on later in the plagues to destroy all of Egypt's livestock and then all of their crops. You see, God, what he's doing here is he is destroying their economy. This is like the very thing that like the unquestioned God King Pharaoh is supposed to be able to like hold on to for his people. He's supposed to be able to ensure their well-being in this way. And God is just like completely destroying it. You see, in these actions, God is showing himself to be the true divine king. And Pharaoh is shown to be a weak human subject. And if you're just kind of like clocking in, maybe this is the first week you've been here. It's like, man, like, why is God being such a jerk? Like, why is he doing this to Pharaoh? So let me remind you, like, why this is happening. This is happening because Pharaoh is evil. (laughs) Pharaoh is a wicked man, a murderous man, a man who has enslaved entire people groups, like a man who oppresses. And I think this is like, this is good news for us, right? As we think about this, okay, like the question was, why should we listen to the Lord's voice? Who is the Lord that we should obey him? Why is this good that God is a divine king? I think this kind of like hits us in our longing for justice. I don't know if you noticed, but like 2020 and 2021 has been a pretty rough time in our country. I mean, we just came up on the year anniversary of the death of Ahmaud Arbery death of George Floyd, we're more aware of things in our culture like this than we ever have been before. 
And there's in our culture, there's this like deep longing for justice. And maybe some of you feel this too. See, if you long for justice, you need a divine king like this. What God is doing in these plagues is he is showing us what he will do to all evil. This is God stepping into history and demonstrating what he does to racist kings. This is God showing up and doling out justice. And if you want to care about justice, you need a God who cares about justice. And that's what we see in this passage. The plagues show us what God will do to evil. Racism like pharaohs will not go unpunished. Unjust rulers will not go unpunished. God is going to destroy oppression. This is who God is. God is the divine king, and we should listen to his voice. But not only is God the divine king, we see also in the plagues that he is the creator God, the creator God. So if if you're familiar with the plagues, let me just kind of like run through what happens in these. I have them written down somewhere on here. Sorry, going off script here. Um, Yeah, okay, here they are. Okay, so the first one is God turning the Nile to blood. That's pretty crazy. doesn't happen very often. The next one is like frogs everywhere. Following that, we have like a swarm of gnats. Then we have flies. Then all the livestock die. Then we have all these people break out in boils. Then there's hail that destroys everything. Then there's locusts. And then all of a sudden, it's like really dark. Okay, what do we do when we see this sort of thing happening? Okay, these are like supernatural events. If you're anything like me when you read this, this just kind of seems so outrageous. Like I can't remember the, like the last time that I've seen anything like this happen. Right? We, we look at this and we're like, that, that feels like, that feels crazy. It feels mythological. Like why would that happen? And I think if you're anything like me and thinking that way, I, I think it's, you're in good company. Right? Because on some level, I think all of us in a place like the USA, like we think that way. We live in what uh, philosopher Charles Taylor calls the eminent frame. And what he means by that is we live in a world that we imagine is a closed system. There's no such thing as interference from the outside. We live in a world where only, like, there can only be kind of like scientific cause and effect. And so when we see things that are like supernatural, all of a sudden we're kind of like skeptical of them. We don't know what to do with the supernatural because we value like observable, repeatable cause and effect. And I just want to say that this, this would not have been an issue for the original audience. The original audience didn't think this way. And I just want to press in a little further. Most people throughout history didn't think the way that we do. And I want to press in even further than that. Most people in the world today don't think the way that we do. In fact, when most people in the world today read something like in the Bible, they don't have as much of a problem with the supernatural so much as they have with a God of love. (laughs) Like they see a God of love and they're like, there's so much evil in the world. How in the world could a God of love exist? Whereas for us, like in the West, we see a God of love and we're like, dang right, there's a God of love because we're so amazing. Right. All I'm trying to say is like this sort of question is culturally located. Right. We have problems with this because of where we are located. But for the original audience, this wouldn't have been a problem. 
In fact, for the original audience, it wouldn't have seemed like these two things are like too supernatural. They would have actually talked about the plagues being too natural. I mean, if you look at it, all of these plagues, like they're natural things. If the Nile was spoiled and like turned into blood, it would make sense that all the frogs would leave the Nile and there'd be frogs everywhere. And then if the frogs die, it makes sense that there would be all sorts of gnats and flies everywhere. And in fact, there are a lot of uh, scholars who try and kind of piece together a way that all of these like plagues described in this passage could have just happened without God's interference. And I think that shows us that like what's happening here seems like somewhat natural. It's strange, right? Like if God was trying to convince Pharaoh that he was the real God, couldn't he have just like zapped some people right in front of him? Like why is God using these natural means. I think what God's doing here is that he's demonstrating that he is the God of creation. He's using these like natural created means to show who he is, that he's the one who is in control of creation. And he's showing him, he's showing Pharaoh that opposing him is going to lead to the natural order, like fraying apart. It's going to lead to disintegration and to chaos See, in a lot of ways, like what we see in these plagues is a reversal of the world that God created in Genesis 1 and 2. God's created Genesis in Genesis 1 and 2 this world that is like harmonious and everything flows together. And what we see in the plagues is utter chaos. This is God demonstrating to Pharaoh, listen, when you, when you sin, when you follow the way of the serpent, it leads to chaos. See, the the domineering, racist, genocidal leadership of Pharaoh is shown for what it is here. It's shown to be evil, anti-creation, and sinful. And ultimately, it leads to a return to the dust. You see, God is demonstrating that the God of creation is the one who's worthy of our obedience. Uh, So when I got married, um, my music taste changed a little bit. I think it's fair to say. I used to listen to just like only hipster indie music. And now I'm, I'm really into pop. And uh, kind of the, if I had to demonstrate, like pick one artist that kind of demonstrates the change, it'd be Taylor Swift. Really into Taylor Swift now. Never thought I'd be able to say that, but it feels good to say that out loud. Um, but Taylor Swift, I don't know if you know this about her, but she's really cryptic with her lyrics and really cryptic with her music videos. Like, she puts all sorts of, like, little, like, Easter eggs and stuff for all of her fans to find out. Uh, and she loves creating this sort of, like, mystery and speculation. And she came out with an album over the summer called Folklore. It's fantastic. We should talk about it sometime. I really love it. Um, but in an interview, she listed that she's like, yeah, I have some of my favorite uh, collaborators on this album. She's like, I've got, uh, like, Bon Iver, Got the guy from the National. His name is kind of slipping me. And she's like, oh, yeah. And then uh, William Bowery is on this as well. And everybody's like, oh, yeah, William Bowery, for sure. And then the Internet starts going crazy because no one knows who William Bowery is. Like, no one has any idea who this is. And so, like, all of Taylor Swift's fans start going crazy with speculation. Like, who is William Bowery? Who is William Bowery? Like, the Internet turned into, like, chaos. Certain people are like, oh, it's, it's Ed Sheeran. Other people are like, oh, it's Kanye West. Wouldn't that be crazy? Some people are like, oh, it's Harry Styles. Oh, no, maybe it's Lana Del Rey. And some people are like, oh, maybe it's like Barack Obama. Somebody's like, oh, it's Donald Trump. Like, that's not possible. Um, 
And then finally, after all of this chaos has ensued, Taylor finally says in this documentary on Disney Plus, it was my boyfriend, Joe Allen. And everybody's like, that's like super disappointing, right? Because people enjoy like the chaos that ensues. Like everything that Taylor Swift does generates chaos. But really the only one with authority to like bring clarity on the proper use of these things that she does is Taylor Swift herself. She's the only one with the authority. And in the same way, in demonstrating himself as the God of creation, the Lord is showing that he is the one who has the authority to determine the correct use of his creation, to determine what is good and evil, and to be obeyed. God is showing Pharaoh that he is worthy of his obedience. So how does the fact that God is the creator kind of convince us to listen to his voice? Like, what does that do for us? I think the fact that God is the creator, it, I mean, it gives us clarity, right? Do you, I mean, do you long for clarity? Do you long to know that you're like heading in the right direction? I think if, if we reject God as creator, it kind of turns life into like the Cheesecake Factory. Uh, I don't know if you know, like if you've gone to the Cheesecake Factory, like you open up the menu and there are like four billion options, each one worse than the one before. <laughs> it's like, oh, do you want like, uh, you know, Mexican food? Do you want Italian food? Like, do you want Korean food? And it's just like, no one's ever asking like, why are we doing this? Like, why do we have so many? But if you've ever looked at that menu, it's like, it's so stressful. You're just like, this is way too much. Like, I don't need to make this choice, <laughs> right? See, that's what it's like when we reject God as the creator because we're just on our own. We have to figure everything out. Every life decision becomes like the cheesecake factory menu, which if we're being honest, is miserable. We're not made for that. See, God as creator, he, he gives clarity. God as creator defines what is good and evil. He brings clarity. So God is the creator God. And then third and finally, God is the saving God. He's the saving God. Uh, so the more that we consider these plagues, the more that you think about them, the more it just kind of starts to be like, why is God acting in this specific way? Like, why is he like spreading out his judgment on Pharaoh over these like 10 seemingly like random things? Like we said earlier, if he wanted to just convince Pharaoh that he is God and that Pharaoh himself is not, couldn't he have just like vaporized a couple people right in front of him? Like done something that no one else could do. But for some reason, God didn't act in this way. And God himself actually says this in Exodus 9. He says to Pharaoh, for by now I could have put out my hand and struck you and your people with pestilence and you would have been cut off from the earth. But for this purpose, I have raised you up to show you my power so that my name may be reclaimed in all the earth. You see, God says, if I wanted to, I could have destroyed you easily. But the reason why I'm doing this, the purpose that I have raised you up, the reason why I'm doing all these plagues and I'm trying to proclaim who I am is because I want people to know me. Everything that God is doing is so that he will be proclaimed in all the earth. His actions aren't simply about Pharaoh, but they're about all of Egypt, all of Israel, all of the world, and, and indeed us. The fact that we're talking about this in 2021 in Lincoln, Nebraska is like mission accomplished. 
God wants to be known. And we see throughout kind of the narrative of the plagues that his mission is working. We see uh, later on in Exodus 9 that even some people in Pharaoh's house have started to like respect and honor God. Some of the people in his own house, God kind of warned them about this plague of, of like hail coming down. And it says, whoever feared the word of the Lord among the servants of Pharaoh hurried his slaves and his livestock into the houses. So what we see is like even Pharaoh's hardness of heart, even his resistance to God could not stop God from converting people out from under him. Like God is the sort of God who tries to win over his enemies, even in judgment. Think of it this way, like God is like DJ Khaled, all right? I don't know if you've ever heard a song uh, with DJ Khaled in it, uh, but you'll know it's a song with DJ Khaled in it because it starts with DJ Khaled. And it's like, this is the same if it's like a slow jam or if it's like a workout song. It doesn't matter. You're going to hear that at the beginning of the song. And you're also going to hear We the Best and another one. Like no matter what, like that DJ Khaled cannot help himself but put that in every single song. And we see God is the same way. He cannot help but put his loving heart into everything that he does, even judgment, even bringing about justice on a evil and wicked man. He is still trying to bring his enemies into the fold. He's still trying to convert the people that hate him. And isn't that beautiful? Like, isn't that the sort of God that you want? And I mean, think of how different that is from us, right? Like, if I'm even, like, remotely close to right and someone else is wrong, like, I am bringing, like, the hammer of Thor down on their head, right? Like, you, you just want to crush people when you're right and they're wrong. What we see here is that God doesn't crush people even when he could. See, God is the type of person who tries to convert his enemies. God has way more power than Pharaoh, and yet he wields it in a much more generous way. He doesn't let power go to his head. And I think that's the sort of God that, that we want. There's something about that that's compelling. One of the, uh, one of the Puritans um, said that judgment is God's strange work. It's his strange work. And what's most natural to him is salvation. And so it makes sense, like, in everything that God does, he gets salvation in there somehow. Even in judgment, he's about the business of saving people. So God is Savior as well. All right, so think back with me uh, on kind of the, my opening story here. I provoked my dad to punch me in the arm. I learned about dad strength. It was the hardest punch. I think I'm still hurting from it, honestly. Uh, but some of you may be sitting here wondering, like, am I provoking God in that same way? Like, am I asking that sort of question of God? Like, am I asking the same question? Like, who is the Lord that I should obey him? Like, why, why do I need to listen to God's voice over anybody else's? What if I'm rejecting God's authority? Like, what if I'm a half-hearted Christian and I'm not doing nearly as much as I feel like I should be? What if my obedience is imperfect? What if I struggle to obey? What if I continually do things that I hate? 
What if I do things that shock me? Do I need to live in fear of like God bringing his wrath down upon me? Do I need to live in fear of like a divine punch? See, the good news of the gospel is that Jesus took that punch. Jesus took the divine punch that we could never be prepared for. See, in Jesus, we see the divine king subjected himself to our sinful usurping of his authority. In Jesus, we see the creator God subjected himself to our chaos. In Jesus, we see that the saving God didn't save himself, but willingly suffered and died so that we would receive life. You see, when we trust Jesus, we don't have to fear the judgment of God, and instead we can live as his dearly beloved children. We don't have to live in fear. I mean, who wouldn't want that? This changes when we think about like our obedience, right? It, it changes like obedience and doing like Christian things. It changes it from duty to delight. Because you already have the full delight of God your Father. Like in Jesus, like when God looks at you in Jesus, he is delighted in you. He says over you every day, well done, good and faithful servant. This is my beloved son. See, we are delighted in in Jesus. And we can obey out of that delight, not in order to try and get it ourselves. See, if you find yourself struggling to obey God's word, maybe the solution isn't just like trying harder or being better. Maybe actually what you need is to take a look at Jesus and to see the lengths that God would go to win you. You see, on the cross, we see that God poured out judgment on Jesus so that he wouldn't have to do that to you. See, in Jesus, God is answering Pharaoh's question, who is the Lord? He says, the Lord is the one who would not spare his own son. The Lord is the one who would move heaven and earth to have you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that that is who you are.